everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Pastoring in the Pandemic. I am pleased today to be joined by Eric Black. Eric is the editor-in-chief of the Baptist Standard, um, the new source for, for Texas Baptists. And full disclosure, um, my dad is actually the managing editor of the Baptist Standard, so I am far from unbiased when it comes to uh, the quality work that the Standard puts out. But nevertheless, I'm really glad that Eric is joining today um, to talk about news gathering in this time of COVID-19, to talk about some of the stories that he's heard from churches. Um, so Eric, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, you bet. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, l- let me start off by asking about your work, what you have been up to since, since March. How has the pandemic directly affected your work at The Standard? Well, my role at The Standard is to maintain relationships with our readership, uh, Texas Baptist institutions and churches, uh, to raise funds for the organization, in addition to editing and publishing and writing a weekly editorial and those kinds of things. So for me specifically, uh, in March, we had three listening sessions scheduled in Central Texas, and we had to cancel all three of those. Uh, They were scheduled I think it was the week after spring break. So my son and I uh, participated in a bounce mission trip the week of spring break. And we kept waiting for that to be called off. Uh, It wasn't. So when we got home, uh, we got home to everything being shut down. And I immediately contacted the three locations where I was going to meet with groups of people and canceled those. And that may not sound like a big deal, but for us, that's one way that we we're able to, to uh, build relationships and stay connected with people one-on-one, so face-to-face. And I had done about nine of those uh, over the previous year and was hoping to finish out the state of Texas this year, and uh, that's pretty well shot. So, <laughs> uh, and yeah. that's one of the, the parts of what I do that I really enjoy. Uh, I, when I say really enjoy, it's one of the things I enjoy most is being able to be with the people. And uh, in uh, one of the things that pastors have communicated, you didn't ask this, but uh, this, or maybe you didn't ask this yet. But one thing a lot of pastors have communicated is how difficult it is to preach to their congregation through a camera. Mm-hmm. And writing editorials is kind of like that. It's communicating with um, a community that I, I don't see them for the most part. I might see our readers, our community on Facebook or when I am able to meet somebody in person, but over the last, what is it now, eight months, we haven't been able to do that to speak of. So it had a pretty uh, immediate and direct impact. Now in terms of our day-to-day operations, we had already taken our office remote so that didn't affect us. Most of what we do is published online, so that didn't affect us. Uh, as far as engagement with the standard, right away when everybody was sort of stuck at home, uh, our readership jumped. I, I mean, people were spending a lot of time online, and so uh, almost everything we published was being read, and, <laughs> and some things being read uh, quite a bit. Uh, So the engagement went up right away. That leveled out some uh, over the remainder of the year as we started uh, sort of figuring out 
how to spend our time and, and what things were going to be like. Uh, as far as finances go, uh, it, it didn't hit us uh, all that hard. We have an endowment that's not the only source of income we have. So uh, we were a little concerned uh, at the first part about what was going to happen with endowment income, but uh, the stock market came back pretty well. And so over the year, uh, it didn't hurt us too bad. And donations have, have done fairly well. Um, subscription income has done fairly well. So on the whole, I mean, it certainly had an impact, but we've been able to maintain and to uh, do what we are, what we exist to do. So uh, we feel fortunate. Well, a big part of what what you do at the standard is, as you mentioned, those relationships with with Texas Baptist churches. So over the past few months, a big part of what y'all have been putting out along with editorials, along with op-eds is stories about churches who are continuing to serve, continuing to minister, and finding new ways to serve and to minister in the pandemic. So what's what's the most interesting COVID-related story that you've written about or that the Standard has published about since, since March? Well, I'm going to be really transparent. Uh, I knew that you were going to ask this question, and I've been thinking about it uh, since you uh, sent me the question. And the only answer I keep coming up with is, I don't like any of them. And I mean, but, but the, th the reality is, is that I, I'm grateful and I'm excited, as excited as anybody can be, uh, that churches are continuing to do ministry and that they're reaching out to their communities, that they're responding to uh, what's happening and making adjustments that they need to make. But I don't want to be reporting on the pandemic. I mean, I, you know, and so it's sort of a mixed bag. Uh, th this is a whole set of articles and op-eds that we've published this year that, like so many pastors, there's a, a lot of sermons pastors would rather not have preached this year. And there's quite a few articles that uh, we would just as soon not have published this year. Now, the reality is, is that this is the world we're in. And uh, I think that, um, uh, well... This sort of bleeds over into another question that you ask. Uh, I, what I'm seeing among churches is that, uh, fairly consistently, is that they're coming together to uh, meet basic needs of people in their community. And so they're coming together to uh, make food available and to distribute food, and they're doing very well at that. And so I think that what I'm seeing is in, in local localized settings that the local church, which is the heartbeat of Baptist life uh, in many ways, that the local church is really stepping up to, to do what it does best. And so I'm proud to be able to publish stories about Baptists at their best selves. That's one of the things that's been nice for, for me to read about as a Texas Baptist pastor, these stories of churches that have um, set, up, set up ministries to meet those basic needs, whether it's um, helping out with food banks or clothing drives or, or whatever the case may be, these churches. And sometimes in a few cases, it's not big churches. It's not mega churches we're talking about, but it's churches that 
saw a need in their local community and said, we can fill that need. We've, um, we've got the know-how, we've got the connections, um, and we, we want to do our part, and it's been great to get to read about that. Well, here, that's, that's the positive, so let me ask the flip side. Where do you see some room for improvement from Texas Baptist churches? Um, some things where we might be able to do a better job of responding to the pandemic than we have up to this point, based on what you're seeing. I think that church leadership and uh, lay people in the church, so everybody who makes up the church, basically, will do themselves a great service by simply accepting that this is where we are and figuring out how to respond best in the situation as it is, as opposed to uh, focusing so much on when we get back to normal. And it's not going to be like this forever. So, you know, we're, we're going to be able to uh, be back in the building and be at full swing uh, you know, and, and just keeping the focus on that, I realize that we want to we want to maintain hope, and we want to have a goal to shoot for. I get that. Uh, in the meantime, though, uh, if we don't really face up to how things are right now, accept them for what they are, and live within those means or, or live within that reality. Uh, I just don't think it's healthy. Frankly, what I see is that in many ways, it's like reenacting the grief process. You know, when somebody passes away and we don't like it. And so we just uh, pretend like it's okay. It didn't happen. Or if someone is passing away and, and we want to pretend like this isn't going to happen, uh, that everything is just great. Um, that, that doesn't help us. Long term, it, it prolongs grief. Uh, it doesn't enable us to see what needs to be done now as clearly as we need to be able to see it. Uh, it we miss opportunities when we focus too much on what we want the future to be like and, and not enough on uh, what the need of the present is. So I think there needs to be a, a bit more acceptance of the present, not a letting go of what we want for the future and what our aspirations are, but uh, a more healthy and um, sort of sober uh, acceptance of the present. It reminds me a little bit of what, what Paul says in First Thessalonians, where he says that we need not mourn like those who have no hope. He doesn't say that we need not mourn at all, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but that we, that we have hope. And in the same way in this pandemic, it's okay to say this sucks and it's okay to, to work through what is happening in the moment while still maintaining that hope. You almost like you don't have to choose. You don't have to ignore what's happening and focus so much on the future um, that you neglect the present. Um, but by the same token, you don't need to, it doesn't need to be doom and gloom every Sunday of, Oh, aren't we just going through the worst thing we've ever gone through? Um, there can be that recognition that eventually things, things will change. Um, well, you, you kind of, th that segues pretty well, actually, I think, into something that's on everybody's mind right now. We're recording this on Monday. Some of you may be listening to this on Monday evening, Tuesday, or later in the week. But as we record this, tomorrow's election day, um, and it's no secret 
that COVID-19 has, has become politicized in a lot of different ways. It's become this political football's political football, um, even in the earliest days of the pandemic, but, but certainly now. How do you think that that has affected the way that churches have responded to the pandemic? Wow. Uh, so how, I could answer that in a way that uh, would be even more divisive or even explosive, uh, which might be fun, <laughs> but I don't know that that's really what we want to do. No, I think that's part of the way in which we as the church, and I'm, so I'm going to include myself in this, uh, that we as the church have not um, responded to the pandemic for what it is. And so we have some churches that uh, have, here's another one that I've had time to think about, and yet it's, it's just fraught with peril. Uh, I mean, clearly we have churches that are more aligned with one side of the political spectrum than another. We know this. And so, uh, you know, we can talk about that somewhat, frankly, I think. And, and, and we know that uh, one side of the political spectrum is, is not really um, excited about masks and is not excited about social distancing and those kinds of things. And so there's been kind of um, almost in, in some places a an insinuation that if you're really spiritual, uh, if you really believe Jesus and you have faith in God, uh, you're not going to worry about wearing a mask and you're going to come to church and maybe you'll be packed in and maybe you won't. And we're just going to do everything the way we've always done it. Uh, and that somehow by doing that, that we are faithfully living out our walk with Christ. Uh, and so therefore, by extension, anybody who is not doing that is not faithfully living out their walk with Christ. I think to, and maybe that's a, an oversimplification. Uh, maybe that's just a, a caricature of what's really going on. Um, but I don't think it's too far off in certain instances, not across the board, but in certain instances. And, and that kind of thinking about one another and about uh, the Christian life and about things like disease and all of that, I think it, um, I, I, it trivializes all of it. And it trivializes the disease, it trivializes what it means to be a church and to be a faithful follower of Christ. It trivializes what Christ expects of us. And so I think that by allowing perhaps uh, political views to be in the driver's seat, uh, even to the point of informing how we respond as a church to the pandemic, whether we uh, come back together and how we come back together in person, as if we can't come together virtually like you and I are doing now. Uh, I would say you and I are very much together uh, even though we're not in the same room, uh, but we're having a conversation together. We see each other uh, on the screen. The listeners won't be able to see us looking at each other, but uh, we're, we discount that coming together 
uh, when we say that uh, we're not really together unless we're in person. So I think we have, I think we've shortcut or short-circuited some of what we could have gained by just going back to accepting the pandemic for what it is and uh, living within some of those uh, str strictures maybe mm -hmm. um, for a little bit. You know, another thing too is, is that we have this way of thinking in American culture. Uh, we don't have a long view. We tend not to have a long view of things. We tend to have a, a very uh, short or nearsighted view of things. And the idea that we might be apart from each other for a couple of months is just unthinkable to us. Uh, but there have been other times in history when people couldn't be together and yet they were still considered the church, the body of Christ. They were still considered to be in relationship. Uh, and so I, I just, I think there's, I don't know that I've answered the question very well, but I think that there's multiple ways in which we've been led along by political views. In other words, like the, the tail wagging the dog. Uh, and as the church, um, as people who proclaim Jesus as Lord, um, I think we need to be really careful about making any side, whether it's Democrats or Republicans or whatever the political view is. And a minute ago, it may have sounded like I was picking on uh, Republicans. Um, no, it's just, uh, it was an easy example. Um, as people who proclaim that Jesus is Lord, I think we have to be really careful about allowing political views uh, to drive our behavior, mm -hmm. uh, especially as it pertains to the church and how we function as a church. My, my mother actually said something that I thought had a lot of wisdom in it just the other day. We were talking about what may come uh, when things may start to get back to normal and some conversations she had had with, with friends and specifically about a, a potential vaccine. Once the vaccine is available, would you take it? How long would you wait before uh, going and seeking it out? The, these kinds of questions that people are already starting to reckon with at a certain level, even though there's not a vaccine yet um, to, to acquire and to take. And I really liked what she said, which was, I'll ask my doctor. Mm. This is, I think it would be helpful for all of us to remember, given how politicized COVID-19 has become, that at its core, this is a medical crisis. And politics absolutely touch this. It, it is, it's leaders who, um, who shut down all but essential businesses. It, that was elected officials that made those determinations. And it's elected officials who are in charge of the CDC. And Politics has a part to play, and I'm, I'm not saying that this is an apolitical thing because it's not, but I do think it would be helpful, helpful for all of us to remember that at the end of the day, this is a medical crisis, not a political crisis, and I think there's something to be said for, well, what, what do the doctors tell us to do? In most other areas of, of our own health care, when the doctor tells us to do something, hopefully we follow their advice, but we at least listen to it. We, we, at least, um, we at least listen to it carefully and then make, make a determination about whether we're going to do what's best for our health or 
or not. The doctor might say exercise five days a week and we don't do it, but we understand that they, they have that expertise. Right. And I, I think it's important for us to remember just what kind of a crisis a pandemic is in its very nature and to yeah. listen to those medical professionals before we listen to, um, to even our favorite political leaders. Well, and one of the problems right now is the de delegitimization of expertise. Mm -hmm. and, and that's not only in the medical field. Uh, there's been a delegitimization of expertise in the economy as well. And so uh, traditionally, we have turned to experts. Uh, when we were facing a, a medical problem, we turned to medical experts. When we needed financial advice, we turned to financial experts. And uh, all of that has been, uh, well, not only delegitimized, but made suspect. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, here we are in a position where uh, anyone who is, would have been considered an expert in a particular field, not all that long ago, maybe just a handful of years ago, all of a sudden now has to justify their expertise in a way that, uh, well, I don't know that we've ever had to do. Pastors are having to do that. Uh, journalists are having to do that. Doctors are having to do that. And it's, it's astounding to me. And yet, and yet, doctors are still seeing patients. Car mechanics are still fixing cars. You know, uh, journalists are still producing journalism. Pastors are still pastoring churches and preaching sermons. And uh, so, we're still, we, we have not lost all uh, trust in our experts. But yes, like you say, if we recognize that a pandemic is a medical uh, issue and we need to turn to medical experts, I think that would be helpful. And then politicians, I mean, their expertise is policy. Mm -hmm. And their policy ought to be informed by and governed by counsel from experts. Yeah. Well well, we, we walked that line very carefully, very delicately. So now we can transition to something. <laughs> let, let, me, let me ask you, uh, in terms of the pandemic's effect on churches, we, we've seen the immediate effects that it's had. Um, during the shutdown, uh, just about every church was doing some sort of an online ministry. Um, even post-shutdown, Many churches kept their doors closed for, for weeks or even months, and there are in some especially large churches um, or in churches that are in an area with a lot of COVID cases. There are some churches that still have not returned to any kind of in-person activities. Those are the short-term implications. But as we said, someday this pandemic will, will be over. Someday we will throw our masks away or put them in a keepsake box and we will be in person face to face once again. What changes do you think will that we, changes that we've already made or that we are making? What do you think will remain? How do you think that the pandemic's going to change the church long term? Well, one of the things that I think is going to be long term, churches will need to be hybrid. Just because people are able to come back in person, uh, churches will need to continue having uh, Zoom Sunday school or hybrid Sunday school. They will need to continue streaming their services. A lot of churches um, didn't want to do that. And 
resisted that for a long time, even though they may have had the capability of doing it, but they resisted it. And then all of a sudden, overnight, every church is, uh, is on TV, quote unquote, not really TV, but on the internet anyway. And so now that we know that we can do it and that we are able to do it for weeks on end, I don't think that our congregations are going to um, let us drop that. Also, uh, this, I, I would like to think that this particular pandemic wakes us up to the reality that uh, we're not as invincible as we think we are. And so we need to be flexible to be able to respond to any kind of circumstance that comes along. Uh, after this pandemic or maybe before this pandemic is, is fully dealt with. I mean, we really don't know uh, what else is out there and when it might come. And so we've, this is almost like an experiment, a several month experiment for us to see how we can function in the future uh, just as a matter of course. Something else that I've seen is I know that there are people who are attending churches in other states from where they live. Uh, I know this firsthand, not when I say firsthand, not me and my family, but uh, in our household, but I, I do have family members who are uh, participating in a church in another state. I have uh, people that I've known a long time uh, in my parents' church that are uh, participating in churches out of state. And so I would expect that that's just going to become normal. Uh, in other words, uh, you can, because church is online, you can be part of whatever congregation you want to be part of. And you're no longer uh, limited to your geographic area. Of course, I mean, that's been coming for a while. Uh, when I was a pastor, we had uh, a couple that drove from Fort Worth to our church, and that was 40 miles. They passed a lot of churches on the way, <laughs> including the one right over their back fence. Uh, so, I mean, this has been going on for a while, but this just opens up a, a whole new, uh, it, it really explodes that out to, you literally can go to church anywhere you want and participate anywhere you want. Uh, and so if you want a specific kind of theology, if you want a specific kind of pastor or preaching style or music style or whatever it is, uh, well, I mean, you can go anywhere now. I, I don't think that's going away. I also think long-term that uh, churches that have been struggling for a long time to keep the doors open, uh, I, I think this is going to be uh, a game changer for them, that it probably will either uh, force their hand to close or to merge or to make the drastic systemic changes that they've needed to make for years but just have been unwilling to do that because he didn't have to yet. Uh, so I, I do think there will be fewer local congregations um, at, at, you know, when this is over and maybe even for the long term. Uh, I, I don't know what it will do in terms of, you know, small church versus big church. Uh, if, if you're attending church from your living room, uh, the church feels pretty small, no matter how big the church is that you're, connecting with uh, online. So I, I don't know how that will affect, but yeah, I think that uh, church is going to need to be hybrid 
I think there's going to be fewer local churches going forward. Uh, and I think that people are going to be attending uh, outside their geographic area, maybe uh, hundreds of miles away from their geographic area. Well, it sounds like then if you are the pastor of a small local church and you want you want people attending your services, you want people to be a part of your church, it sounds then like you you probably cannot rely on number one proximity and number two, you probably can't rely upon putting on a flashy professional um, worship service that that would attract people just on its own merits. It sounds like if you're going to be a successful local church, you're going to have to be a successful local church that is doing things in the community, that is reaching out to the community, and that is making those connections and forming those relationships within the community. Because if you're just relying on your, your Sunday morning service, you, you won't be able to measure up to what a church with a 4,000-person congregation and a $6 million budget can do. You're going to have to rely upon those relationships and those connections to be to be successful as a local church would you would you agree with that uh, to some extent yeah yeah i think that uh, what we tend to think of as a local church that people from your community are the ones in like physically in your building they're the ones on your membership roles they're the ones you try to activate to go do ministry in your local setting that's still going to be there to some extent i think I don't know that that's going to go away, but I don't think that local churches can think of themselves just as local churches anymore. Uh, Leonard Sweet was one, and um, oh, I'm going blank on his name, out at Keller. Um, but they used the, the term global. The church has to be global and local. And, you know, I think at the time I thought, okay, you know, that's real uh, postmodern <laughs> of you, whatever. But now I'm looking at this and I'm going, well, here it is. Uh, every single local church, regardless of its size and its location, is global now because people can be uh, connecting to you who have nothing to do with and never will have anything to do with your local setting, uh, but they, they're connecting with you for some reason and, and they come back uh, however many times and they may even identify. Uh, your congregation as their church, because it's, it's, that tends to be pretty American. Uh, I don't know how much that might bleed over into uh, other cultures, but at least in the United States, I can see that uh, local churches are going to have to think about how they um, engage a wider constituency than local. Um, and so I think people will be attending churches or participating in churches based on preference much more so than we have been for the last, you know, 20, 30 years, as long as I've been alive. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a, a much more, to use a, I guess a postmodern term, radical uh, kind of, of preference that um, at any rate, I, I, I think we're going to have to be more creative in how we engage those who are engaging with us in doing local ministry where they are. 
and that stretches my mind a little bit. As a pastor, I was I had a, a small community, and I was trying to get the people in my local congregation to do ministry in our small community, and so I could get my head around that. If I was still pastoring, and I knew that I had people watching me on Sunday mornings who were in another state, uh, how many of my sermon illustrations apply to them? If, if I'm trying to speak to the local context, that's difficult. And if I'm trying to get them to be part of, let's say, ministering in a public school, in our local public school, well, that, that's great for the people in our community. We all know what we're talking about. But if this person over here, let's say they're in Colorado, just to throw out a state, and they're watching me every Sunday morning, uh, well, I want them to be engaged in their local public school too. So then what's the metric? Is Do we measure success by how many people are engaged in our local public school or how many people are engaged in public schools? And then how do you measure that? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think all of our old, uh, our traditional ways of measuring things, our traditional ways of um, trying to apply the sermon, you know, that application section in our, in our sermons, uh, we're going to have to rethink a little bit for the reality that people are, are joining us. And, and we, I mean, maybe they're not our main audience, but they're still part of our um, constituency to some extent, our congregation. Sure. So how are we involving them? Well, Eric, you, you've mentioned that prior to, um, prior to beginning your work at The Standard that you, you were a pastor. Um, and I'm sure that since the pandemic began, you have at some point played the, the hypothetical of if I was still pastoring, what would I be doing right now? How would I be handling this? And you've been in touch with other pastors like myself, hearing their stories, talking with them. So based on what you've heard, based on your own experience, what is one thing that you would want listeners to, to know or to think about when it comes to pastoring in a pandemic? Well, pastoring is pretty doggone tough in the best of times. And these are not the best of times. Uh, I would want people to know that pastors are doing everything they can to take good care of the church, to lead well, to take good care of themselves, uh, to take care of their families. The pressures on pastors right now are, are just incredible. And so I do, I think about what if I was pastoring right now? And then I breathe a quick sigh of relief that I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, which is, you know, I don't know that that's really appreciated by my pastor friends uh, who, are, <laughs> who are in the thick of it. Uh, but I think it's important that congregations know just how much stress pastors are under right now. And uh, I've been trying to think of a nice way to say this. And I, I guess the nicest way I can think of is cut your pastor some slack for crying out loud. So, you know, you've got... You've got every side pulling at you. 
and you just almost can't win for losing. You're darned if you do, you're darned if you don't. Uh, whether it has to do with uh, social distancing and, and do you require masks, do you not? Uh, do you have distancing in your Sunday school rooms? Do the Sunday schools, uh, do the Sunday school classes even meet together in the building? Uh, how do you do the services? Do you have singing in your services? I mean, all these details that pastors and leadership of the church have to figure out. Uh, and then to have uh, congregation members uh, criticize the decisions that you make based on going back to expertise, uh, using the best information that you have, the leadership of the Holy Spirit, all of these things that pastors are called by and entrusted with a congregation to do and then to be criticized no matter what you do. Yeah, I would tell congregations to cut your pastors some slack. And this is probably not very nice of me, but I'm gonna say it anyway. If you think you can do it better, then take a leadership position in the church. Uh, and some are in leadership positions in the church. So, uh, Maybe that's already taken care of. What I would say to, uh, to pastors, what I would say to pastors, I don't know that I have a whole lot to say to you because you're there and I'm not. Uh, I know how hard it is in the best of times. And this is not the best of times. And I think that uh, pastoring in a pandemic requires that you do less so that what you do, you can do to the best of your abilities. And you rely on uh, people in your congregation more, expect more of people in your congregation uh, to step up and, and lead in some ways that either they haven't before or they have, but they've maybe they've slacked off. Uh, and and right now they need to, they need to really pull. Um, I think pastors need to extend grace to themselves to uh, not try to preach the best sermon every Sunday, but to preach the best sermon they can, uh, to take time away and Well, to be realistic about what we're facing and to maintain hope, uh, but not to ignore that uh, things are not what we want them to be. And it doesn't seem to be going, any, uh, going away anytime soon. Um, I... I pray for pastors around Texas and other leaders uh, every month and I send an email when I do. And I do that because I know how difficult pastoring is, even in the best times. Even when you're in a fantastic church and you don't have any problems and the giving is, uh, I mean, is through the roof and all the staff are, it's like the dream team. And, you know, in those churches where it's just perfect, 
even there, ministry is tough. And so um, I think about your question in light of uh, praying for pastors and the stress and the concern, the seriousness with which they're taking things uh, that's been expressed to me. And I guess I just keep coming back to uh, congregation needs to extend grace to their ministers and ministers need to extend grace to themselves. Well, Eric, I know that you are not a, in a pastoral role anymore, but I think anybody listening would agree that you do still have a pastoral spirit. And I, I am thankful for that and thankful for your, your thoughts, for, for your insights today. Um, so thank you so much for, for joining me today. Um, and for that, that word, that, that word about offering a little bit more grace to one another. So thank you. Thank you for coming on today, Eric. Thank you for, for your thoughts and for being my guest today. Uh, thank you, Daniel.